0: Hi, I'm Isaac, lead pastor of New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. So we've been uh, studying the women of Advent uh, for this month of December seeing this story uh, through their eyes, and it's been a lot of fun to hear from some really dynamic women in our congregation, Um, and I'm so excited to be here now teaching this particular message. I feel like the Lord has just, like, kind of invaded my soul as I prepared, Um, so yeah, I'm really excited. Are you guys excited? Woo! Yeah! Okay. Well, I'm going to start out by letting you know that when I was a kid, I grew up in apartments. Any apartment dwellers in the room? I mean, when I was a kid, I was like, nobody needs to know. I don't know why. Uh, But Isaac and I, uh, we also raised our family in apartments and various rentals uh, for the first 10 years of our marriage. And the thing is, is if you have spent most of your life in a rental, you forget that the outside of the house exists. Because you don't have to mow. There's, there's some major perks here. You don't have to rake. You don't have to use the weed, the, what's it called, the weed eater? The weed whacker. Yes, and it's like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, that thing scares the tar out of me. I will never weed whack. Darn it, now I'm probably going to have to weed whack because I said I'd never do it. You don't have to paint. You just don't have to pay attention to any of that. Well, the thing is, is it doesn't seem to matter now that I've been a homeowner for almost a decade. I still have to remind myself that the exterior of the house is my job, which is just offensive. I don't want to deal with it. So um, about a year ago, I noticed that there was um, like a dripping out of our rain gutter, and it was going down onto a post outside of our garage. And I was like, huh. And I just walked right by. But then a few weeks later, I noticed the paint was peeling off. I don't know a lot about home ownership and maintenance, but what I know about wood is that if it's exposed to water, it rots. And rotting wood is expensive to replace. So I was like, oh, I gotta do something about this now. So I did what was absolutely, I think, reasonable, and I went in and I told Isaac to do something about it. So he graciously got the ladder out and climbed up to see what what was happening up in our rain gutters, and um, he found a baseball in there. But not just any baseball. An old, grimy, moldy... Chris, can that be called a baseball? You're a baseball player. Uh, yeah, that's, so- that's something like that. It's something like a baseball. The expert has spoken. Yeah, it, it, that's what we found. Um, I didn't see it. I didn't really care that it was there until I saw the paint peeling off. I cannot tell you how many times I walked by that drippy rain gutter until that paint started peeling off and I thought, oh, we've got to do something about it. We couldn't see it, we didn't know it existed until it started wreaking havoc. And I wonder if anyone else in here can relate to that. You don't have the eyes to see what's right in front. I walked past that dripping rain gutter over and over and over. Now, to my defense, I'm from California, the sunshine state. Okay, and Oregon is fairly drippy. So, I, you know, I didn't see that there was a problem. I was blind to it. We all have areas in our lives that we're blind to. They require the light of Jesus. We all live with doubt. I still have doubt sometimes. We all live with shame. We all have pasts. We all have present struggles. And these are the ones that can really get us. Because, you know, there's that feeling inside that's like, how do I still have this thing, this thing that won't leave me alone, this thing that nips at my heels, and we have this sense that we should be farther along, that if God really is Lord of our lives, then these things would be gone, and we would be free. And yet we don't walk in full freedom, do we? It doesn't seem to matter if we've been Christians our entire life, or just for A few years or or weeks, or even if maybe there are some in this room who do not yet believe, it doesn't seem to matter. God wants to shine the light. He wants it to shine and go deep and down into every crack and every crevice until every single word and habit and action and emotion that we have is miraculously and gloriously and painfully transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ and he's so good this God of ours that he does this not just once but over and over and over it's a beautiful process a messy process called sanctification but we have to be able to see the rotten baseball and (laughs) I don't know about you but I have more than one We have to have ears to hear the Holy Spirit urging us forward. This morning we're going to study a woman named Rahab. She resides in the folds of history 1400 years before the advent of Jesus. So why on earth are we talking about her? The book of Matthew begins with a genealogy, a list of Jesus' ancestors. Now, I don't know about you, but the lists I tend to skip. I hate to even admit it. I might just scan right through that because it's him and 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 him. Or you get to the book of Numbers and it's just like, oh my gosh, kill me now. Right? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing to me, Jesus. But as we, as we have been studying the women of Advent, this genealogy is crucial because it bears witness to the continuity of the gospel throughout the Bible, not just in the Old Testament. God's comprehensive, timeless, matchless plan of redemption for all of humankind began long before Jesus was ever swaddled in a manger. And so we find Rahab's name in a flyover scripture, Matthew chapter one, verse five. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's it. That's all I got for you. <laughs> Actually, Andrea made a uh, joke uh, when she was speaking that you know her, she had this much. What was it? Three scriptures, just a couple verses, and I'm going. I got nine words. <laughs> Okay, Lord, you've got to do something here. Well, you know what? God is doing something here. We live in a society where mom is the boss, don't we? If mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I got to have some sass with that one. Now, while Matthew was most definitely written for us, it was not written to us. It was written to the Jewish people, which was a patriarchal society. A patriarchal society is just one that where the thought and practice is uh, communicated through the male experience, male-dominated. In fact, in the United States, we, we have been predominantly a patriarchal society. So we're familiar with this narrative. Mom had the kids. She was important. But the most important question was, Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And the answer to this question... (laughs) You know, I I sit there in my house and I write these things. Actually, I was at the gym. I'm writing these things. Who who says that at church? (laughs) Who's your daddy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. Isaac is instructing me to go back to my notes, and I'm going to do that. <laughs> so, the answer to this question, who's your daddy, in this society, unlocked the doors to relationship and social rank and religious expression. Yet, the author of the gospel, Matthew, who was a Jew writing to Jews, includes four mothers among all those daddies. Four mothers. This would have been profound to the readers. This would have been disruptive. They would have taken notice immediately because their genealogy was their bread and butter, was their meal ticket. And they didn't typically list the women. The inclusion of these women would have been uncomfortable. Maybe maybe like a little pebble in the back of your shoe when you walk and grate, it grates against your heel, that kind of Uncomfortable dis- rubbing. It would have rubbed them wrong. It would have caught them off guard. It would have prompted them to ask this question: Why? Why are these women in here? Proverbs twenty twelve says: Ears to hear and eyes to see. The Lord has made them both. I love how the NLT, the New Living Translation, renders it: Ears to see and eyes to hear. Both are a gift from the Lord. What? like I said, come to nine o'clock, it's better. <laughs> yeah, ears to hear and eyes to see, both are gifts from the Lord. As we dive into Rahab's story, we will see women who had a woman who had both ears to hear and eyes to see the God of the universe, to discover him in the midst of her life of sin and her culture of idolatry. And as God extracts Rahab from her wayward life, we will discover that the Advent is not just about the glorious day when Jesus was born and placed in a manger. The Advent is God's divine intersection with humankind over the expanse of history, yesterday, today, and forever. I want to pray. Would you please bow with me? I'm going to pray a scripture out of Ephesians over us as we continue. Father, I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, that we would know more fully the hope to which we are called, that we would be more fully aware of the riches of your glorious inheritance, which is for us, a people that you have chosen to call holy through the work of your Son. And Lord, may we know the incomparable great power, the the very power that raised Christ from the dead for those of us who believe. And Lord, may we always call Jesus the name above every name. Lord, may it be unto him all power and authority and dominion, not just in this present age, but in the one to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, Rahab's story takes place 1,400 years. That's a lot of years. Prior to the birth of Christ, just as the nation of Israel was preparing to enter the promised land. Now, um, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 8 that's where we find Rahab's story in Scripture. We have to remind ourselves that the nation of Israel was God's chosen people, that um, they had been delivered miraculously out of the hands of Pharaoh, out of captivity, out of slavery, and into new life with this amazing God of the universe. And the important thing to know, too, is that it had actually been 40 years. They were sentenced to 40 years of waiting. They were in this holding pattern for 40 years since the Red Sea had opened and they had crossed through on dry land. Joshua has just been commissioned to lead the people, to take Moses' place. And he decides to send two spies into this territory to find out what's going on. And so they enter into this land of the Canaanites, and they come to their first stop, the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was a fortified city. It was a fortress. It, was, it had walls that enclosed it, and they were shut tight for their safety and security. They are able to penetrate this fortress and find themselves at a house where they stay the night. The house belonged to Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. The king of Jericho finds out about these two men, and he goes to Rahab's house, and he demands to take them, or he sends soldiers to her house. But Rahab does not hand the spies over. Instead, she hides them up on her roof and then sends the soldiers off on a wild goose chase. And that's where we pick up. Rahab here, she is speaking to the two spies. She goes up and and talks to them. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and has a great, uh, and a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. And this is our key verse here. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab then makes a pact with these two spies. She tells them, Hey, I won't hand you over, but you got to do something for me. I want you to save my family. And so we read in Joshua chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, it's going to be on the screen, verses 22 through 23, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. The story of Rahab is rich, as we're about to discover. In fact, I told Isaac that I think this could be like a month-long sermon series. I'm not going to do that to you. Merry Christmas. We have just three points today. (laughs) The first point is this. Belief in God Opens doors. Belief in God opens doors. The story of Rahab is a story of radical, unlikely, unpredictable belief in the supreme God of the universe. Rahab was a prostitute. And I think we have to kind of let that sink in and wrap around our brains a little bit. In his genealogy, Matthew gives prominent placement in the lineage of the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to a whore, a woman of the night who performed unspeakable acts. This is disruptive stuff. There is a universal understanding across culture, time, space, history, that prostitution is wrong, it's bad, it's damaging. No little girl says, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. I have two daughters. God forbid. No, we would say this is wrong. And like the prostitutes who solicit on the streets of Salem, the prostitutes of the ancient world were in the gutter. They were trash. But belief in God opened doors For Rahab. This woman living in the margins of society had this tremendous gift from God. She had the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Ears that rang with the stories that she had heard of a God who splits waters, of a God who conquers powerful kings. Her response was a faith confession that opened doors in her life. Joshua 2.11, When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. These are powerful words. As I was reflecting upon what we'll call Rahab's work life, I found myself asking this question. Where does a prostitute get her information? This is not the age of Google or NBC, Fox News, a million channels to choose from, or even the United States Postal Service or Amazon. I don't know. A lot of you are using Amazon. I am too. This is not the the age of even the printing press. Information was communicated and transferred by word of mouth, person to person to person. There is a large likelihood that Rahab would have heard these stories from her customers. God can and will use the pillow talk of a prostitute for the purpose of her redemption. This is astounding. This is astonishing. This should arrest our, our, the, the bowels of our hearts because God will do this. God will do this for me. God will do this for you. In fact, Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While Rahab was a prostitute in the middle of ancient times, God made a way for her. There is great hope in this story. The gospel was breathing long before Jesus drew his first breath. And so doors were open. Rahab initiates a deal with these spies and makes an agreement that will not only secure her safety and that of her loved ones, but it will set her on a completely different path than the path that she is currently on. Belief in God opens doors. The second thing is this, belief must, must, must inform our actions. In the ancient Near East, the existence of a higher power was a given. It's not that way in our culture anymore. Not everybody has chosen to believe in God. We're walking away into this kind of humanistic bent where I have the power within me to affect my world, to change, to be good, to do the right things, to rise up. And, you know, our culture, we, we toot our own horns all the time. But this was a society that, where God's existence was not in question. And there was a deep desire to commune with God. And this, this manifested through systems of, of idol worship. As a resident of Jericho, Rahab most certainly would have been a worshiper of the gods of Canaan. She would have been surrounded by idols representing Baal and poles erected to the goddess Asherah. Idols would have been a significant part of her religious life from the day that she was born. Yet, she hears these stories about this God. And she begins to harbor in her heart conviction that their God, the God of Israel, was real. The actual God. Not these sad little statues made by human hands. And suddenly, because God is so good, she finds herself playing hostess to a couple of men who can actually tell her more about him. The advent has come to her home. But rather than ask a bunch of questions, Rahab is inspired to act. And I love this because we live in a culture that is obsessed with information. We cannot get enough of it. In fact, we don't want just information. We want verification. We want proof. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the divine acts of a God that is bigger than we could ever ask or imagine can never be whittled down to human proof. He can never be proven beyond a shadow of our doubt. In fact, we think sometimes that proof will somehow make our faith real, but proof can never produce faith. Rahab does not look for more proof. She's already heard all that she needs to hear. Her faith was sure, and we know it was, because it sponsored action. And we cannot take lightly the action steps that Rahab took. In a minute, we're going to look at some, you know, application points for us moving forward as we walk out the door. Some things for us to be thinking about this week. And they're going to be safe. They're going to be tidy. But Rahab's actions were not safe. In fact, uh, Rahab finds herself in a place of treachery. Her faith inspired her to be a traitor. What does that mean for us? I mean, Jesus himself said he came to divide. Well, that's what happens here. She hides spies in her home. She gives false information to the soldiers of the king. She makes a deal with the enemy. And in the midst of this manhunt... She places herself in the precarious position of aiding and abetting those who absolutely were going to return armed to kill and conquer her community. Now, you might be thinking, didn't she just do that to save herself? Self-protection is a powerful motivator. Maybe her actions weren't faith-inspired. Maybe she was just trying to survive. Well, I think that scripture has an answer for us. In fact, Trish uh, gave us this really wonderful tool that I hope that you will all continue to use, that we can actually use scripture to verify scripture. And so we're going to go to the New Testament, and we're going to see what the writers of the New Testament, inspired by God, had to say about Rahab. You don't have to turn there. It will be on the screen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 says this. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Why? By faith. And James, in maybe the most famous exposition regarding the emptiness of faith without works, says this, James chapter 2, verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James's inclusion of Rahab is particularly astounding We've talked about how in biblical times it was a patriarchal society. There was a male uh, focus. Yet James, in this grand treatise on faith and works, gives only two examples. And he had any number of examples to choose from in his history. He gives two. One, Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, absolutely should have been included in that list and two, a lowly prostitute named Rahab. Why? Because her belief informed her actions. She risked her life. She believed in the power of God so much that she was willing to put aside all that she had. It was not proof that sponsored her action. It was faith. And the action proved her faith. She believed in God Almighty. Sometimes we, 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 we read the Bible and we forget that we know beginning to end. We can read, start to finish. We know what's going to happen. We know the end of the story. But Rahab did not know the end of the story. Rahab did not know that you know, the Israelites would indeed come and conquer and, and that Jericho would fall and that she would be saved. She didn't know that these two spies would honor their word. She didn't know that one day she would give up her life of prostitution and marry a man named Salmon and have a son named Boaz. She didn't know. She didn't know That the son of God himself, this God that she professes faith in, would be her great, 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 however many greats, grandson. That her grandson's wife would carry the Messiah in her womb. She didn't know. Her faith was real and her actions were born out of it. Our beliefs must, must, must inform our actions. We cannot take this lightly. So um, this past week on Tuesday, I had a physical for the first time in a very long time. Anyone else put that kind of stuff off? Is that just me? Don't ask me why. Um, So... Uh, I I walked into the doctor's office, and I fully expected to hear that my blood work came back, and it was all good, and everything was hunky-dory, which is what has always happened to me. I don't know. Is 39 old? Because things aren't going as well as they once were. So I was surprised when my doctor, who happens to be sitting three rows back over in this direction, (laughs) kind of tilted his head and kind of looked at me quizzically and said, does high cholesterol run in your family? And I was like, I don't know. All of a sudden, I was like, what's happening inside of me? (laughs) As it turns out, both my good and bad cholesterol levels are higher than expected. So now, I'm about to have my belief tested here. Do I believe my doctor and all of his years of experience in education? Do I, am I going to believe that the tests were run correctly and they got my blood sample and not somebody else's and there was a mix-up problem? (laughs) Am I going to, am I going to believe that uh, the experts really know what they're talking about when they say your cholesterol level should be under this certain number here? And then do I even really believe that cholesterol exists? I've never seen it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. I've only ever heard about it. Yes. For all we know, it could be a myth that Cheerios people, you know, conjured up to get us to buy their cereal so that our yes. hearts will be healthy. Yeah. <laughs> the Cheerios conspiracy. Somebody do some research okay get back to me and let me know what you find out so um my doctor as doctors do gave me some good advice he said eat more food that comes out of the ground so I went home and I ate a pumpkin bar <laughs> pumpkins come out of the ground yeah, yeah? <laughs> okay we laugh, but there's kind of a hard truth in here for me because if in a year I go back to Dr. Rob's office and I still have these cholesterol numbers and he asks me if I've done something about it, my belief is going to be tested somewhere in there. If, I, if I'm just doing the same old thing and still eating pumpkin bars thinking, oh, they come out of the ground, then I will not have the action to prove my belief. The momentum of our lives must begin to reflect the beliefs in our hearts. And the only way we can prove this to be happening is by taking a hard look at our actions. Belief clarified for Rahab who her true enemies were. Belief clarified Rahab's priorities. Belief informed her actions to aid the spies of Israel, and it was counted as righteousness. Our beliefs must, must, must inform our actions. Well, the third point is this. Belief-based action delivers us into new life. Joshua 6 tells the grand story of God leading the Israelites to victory over Jericho through a big battle, a worship march. Did you guys know that every Sunday when we walk in here and we get led, by the way, what a privilege it is to be led by those who have gone before us mm-hmm. and prepared their hearts and prepared their instruments and skills and talents. When we are being led by them, we are being led in conquest. God is... is actually helping us lean into a conquering formation, conquering things in our lives and our hearts. He's opening up pathways to him during worship. Worship is powerful. And worship was powerful for the Israelites. I wish I could actually tell you the whole story. I don't have time. I would highly recommend, if you are not familiar with the fall of Jericho, that you would go to Joshua chapter 6 when you get home and read about it, because it's one of the most epic battles in all of the Old Testament. And we have to read it thinking about the fact that Rahab was there. In fact, Scripture tells us that Rahab's house was built into the side of the wall of Jericho. So she would have heard those Israelites marching around the city. She would have been startled by the blasts of the horns as the trumpeteers were playing. She would have had her heartbeat quickened. Her hands would have been shaking. She would have been anticipating salvation or death. Talk about a couple of hard options right there. There was no in-between for her. And as the walls of Jericho came crashing down, Joshua's first order of business is to direct the two spies that had made the promise to go and get Rahab. But they do so much more than just rescue her. Joshua 6.23 says this, they brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Rahab is not just delivered out of danger. She is delivered into security. Sometimes our prayers are just too small. We're like, oh, God, save me now. Save me from the high cholesterol. God wants to save us into something. He doesn't just want to save us from something. And when we're in times of desperation, it can be really hard to see that. But he is about delivering us into new life. She wasn't just left to fend for herself. Rather, she and her family were permanently placed and attached to the community of Israel. This would have been like being allowed to build a home right next door to the White House with the Secret Service totally protected. These were the people of power. Remember what it says, their hearts were melting in fear because of what their God was doing in their lives. She was given prominent placement into the protection of the almighty God that she professed to be the God of heaven and of earth. And this placement does not just afford her his protection, it gives her access. I have to believe that the God of the universe was looking straight into her heart and giving her the desires. Rahab now gets to see God work up close. Now not only has she heard, but she has seen And Matthew's genealogy gives us a clue into Rahab's future. This is where this nine-word verse becomes very important to us. She marries in. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. I don't know who Salmon was. A guy with a very unfortunate name. (laughs) But I do know that Salmon was an Israelite man. And that he would have been forbidden by the law of Moses to marry a foreign woman. So then we get to ask ourselves, how did that come about? Rahab converted. Rahab converted and Salmon marries her. And in verse 25, it states that she lived among the Israelites for the rest of her life. She became one of them. And her Her great, 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 great grandson is Jesus. I'm not going to say great the right number of times. I should have counted. The advent came to the doorstep of Rahab, and she had the eyes to see it. She had the ears to hear it, and she had the faith to act on it. And so we see that fewer than ten words, hidden in a list of names, carries with it the richness of God's grace and mercy throughout the ages. Rahab's life wasn't just spared, it was redeemed. Her belief-based action delivered her into new life because the God that you and I serve absolutely responds to faith. In fact, it's the only thing that we can offer to him. I want to end by going back to Matthew's gospel and the people that he wrote it to. Eyes to see and ears to hear both are a gift from the Lord. I can't help but wonder how many people, male and female alike, were offended when they saw those four female names in that genealogy. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. Four women with powerful stories. Four women with a place in history. We know that the Bible was written by human hands, but we believe that it was divinely inspired by God himself. God's whisper of acceptance to women, to every woman who has ever lived under the oppressive shadow of men, resides throughout the pages of scripture from start to finish if we will only have the eyes to see it and we know because the apostle paul reminds us so eloquently in first corinthians chapter 13 that we only see dimly the truth is not in, it in all of its fullness. While we are still living here on this earth, we see but dimly. And so, what we must do is pray for the eyes to see and the ears to hear, for they are God's glorious gift to us. And he desires to give them to us. As we um, come to a close, I have kind of a menu of application points. There are five, so please bear with me. I know it's warm in here. I'm warm too. I see people fanning themselves. Um, And it's, it's, you know, the Lord Lord is speaking. He is speaking. The Holy Spirit wants to show you what your next step is today because of what we have talked about, because the scripture has bearing in our lives. The first thing is this, person-to-person testimony changed Rahab's life. My question to you is this, how might your testimony change lives? During this holiday season, we get to interact with friends and family we don't see all the time, some of whom are not saved. They don't know Jesus. They need to hear about Him. And you have a story to tell that is powerful. The second point is this. God's insistent inclusion of controversial figures throughout the Bible and in the lineage of His his very Son should cause us to wrestle Who do we believe resides outside the bounds of God's love and grace? Spend time in prayer asking God to soften your heart, to give you eyes to see those around you differently. Number three, take some time in self-reflection. What rotting baseballs threaten to wreak havoc in your life? Confession and repentance are the road to restoration. Seek out help and accountability as you move forward. I'm taking this to heart too. I want you to know that as I have studied and prepared this message, God has said, Danya, you have rotting baseballs in your life. You don't see them. Sometimes we need more than just self-reflection. Number four, we need somebody to help us because we can't see the baseball for the gutter. Invite a trusted friend to speak into your life, to gently, and hear me when I say gently, because someone might come asking, what do I need to work on? And they're going to need your gentility to guide them and and massage them into a new pattern of behavior. Gently be asked, what is it that I need to work on? Initiate this critique in your life. I promise it's going to save a lot of frustration in relationships and while we're on it we just watched that uh, video on the new community groups that are launching many of you and i'm so proud of this church have participated in alpha and rooted and said yes i want to be a disciple of jesus christ and have put shoe leather to it well we've got a third step and that's community groups we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks Purpose right now in your hearts to say yes to that. It will absolutely be inconvenient. You absolutely will be too tired the day you're supposed to go. And let me just say, whenever people come to me at church and they say, I wasn't going to come today because I was just feeling like this, this, and this, and my week was hard and I was tired, but I'm so glad I came. God responds to faith. And the action step for you is to get involved in one of those community groups transformation is on, we're on the edge always, God is always moving us forward the last thing is this belief opens doors I think there are some people in this room who have not yet put their trust and hope in Jesus Christ and if you are feeling at all a resonance of there's something to this this isn't just holly and hot chocolate and red bows and lights in a tree inexplicably put in our living rooms I don't know the history of that, but it is weird. This is, this is more than that. Jesus wants to intersect your life. And he has put you here on this day because he wants to do that work. James and the team are going to lead us in a final worship song. We're going to have some prayer teams. If the Stephen ministers are here and they want to, you know, find a place in the back. Some of us don't like walking in the front. I understand that. Make use of this. Take some time to pray over the things that are either affecting you, inhibiting you, plaguing you, or just lifting up those who have not yet come to know Jesus. This morning I came up for prayer because there's somebody in my life who I love dearly, who I've known for 39 years. And you know what? I don't know. I'm asking God for hope. I want to believe.